0: Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. Okay, stop what you're doing. You're not going to believe this. Today, we have the president of television at Jim Henson's company, Hallie Stanford. If, you're, if you've listened to more than half an episode of Creative Pep Talk, you know that Jim Henson is my biggest creative inspiration and hero of all time. And over the past few months, I've had the pleasure of getting to know Hallie Uh, And it has just been freaking fantastic And I can't even explain it to you Hallie is a 10-time Emmy-nominated television producer And has worked on a number of phenomenal Henson projects However, today on the show We're talking about her latest project The new Netflix original TV series Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance In which she was the executive producer If you don't know this new TV series is a prequel to Jim Henson's film Dark Crystal from the 80s. I binged this series and it, it just, I got swept away. I was like in the Dark Crystal universe for many days doing voices to my kids, freaking them out. It was, I was <laughs> completely swept away. Uh, this is like a puppet production on a scale that I don't think the world has ever seen. And frankly, as a huge Henson fan, I was deeply touched by the new heights that they were able to explore uh, on the back of his legacy. I could not be more excited about this project. And I think it's amazing that it's been getting crazy rave reviews and tons of great press. So you can imagine how outrageously thrilled I was to interview Hallie about the series. This conversation was a total gift and Hallie has so much to teach you about creativity. We talked about Henson's approach to brainstorming, how to listen to feedback without it compromising your vision, and hacks on finding your true creative power and embracing the real you in a major way. Hallie has become such a huge inspiration to me and I am super pumped to share her with you on the show. Here she is. Allie Stanford. Allie, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I know you're, you're ridiculously busy, so I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Uh, I thought I would start with what's definitely going to sound like a weird question, uh, but I, th- I think I'm hoping you know what I mean by this. Uh, could you tell my audience about your mother's Silver leather pants.
1: Yes. Okay. I can tell you about I love that question. All
0: right, All right good. Right? Okay. Okay.
1: So my mom was a working mom. Uh, you know, you know, my dad died when I was three. And my mom literally she was signed up for law school the week after he died. I mean, it was already done. Mm. But she kind of made this active choice, like, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And so she did, and she actually ended up becoming this very powerful attorney in San Diego. But she was also always true to herself and true to um, being feminine. You know, she was telling me a lot of attorneys at the time, you know, they would, they would dress in suits and they would try to sort of, um, you know, mirror their counterparts. And my mom was literally the opposite. She was like, I am wearing what I want to.
2: yeah. And she was
1: super into fashion and funky fashion. And uh, so this is, you know, flash forward in, into high school. Um, my mom got really into leather pants Yeah. she had, <laughs> we bought this one outfit that was like rhinestone cowgirl. It was like white with like crystals and like, and like, like diamonds on it. And then she had silver leather pants and my mom's hair looked like Cher, by the way. So like, really? I want you to picture like, <laughs> she was like a rock star oh
2: my and gosh. she wore these
1: silver leather pants, which was cool. You're like, wow, mom is so bold. And she would show up to work like that. Yeah. Like everybody else was like, nobody was dressed like my mom at work
0: at a law firm. Like, is that at right? At a law
1: firm. <laughs> my mom was so smart and so successful. What could they say? You know, oh my
0: gosh.
1: But the reason I know you're asking me this is because I probably told you the story of how, like, even though being this like, you know, working mom, powerful mom, she was, you know, she was a mom, right? Yeah. So I, one day I forgot my lunch mm. uh, at home in high school and she was like, oh my gosh, I'll, I'll just go take it to her homeroom on my way in. So she comes to my high school homeroom and she is in full-blown silver leather pants (laughs) and that dangly shirt. She's like, here's your ham and like ham and cheese. Like embarrassing enough that she brought the lunch, but silver leather pants. And I was like, Oh
2: my God. That is amazing. And I
1: was slightly mortified um, until she left. And this one girl who was like full up cheerleader, like popular girl, was like, Your mom. Is rad,
2: (laughs) like oh my god, he was like
1: a hero to that homeroom. So, oh my gosh, that
0: is amazing.
1: I, one, my mom was rad in Silver Pants, two, be true to yourself,
0: yes. And I that resonates so much with me because I feel like I learned a similar thing from my mom, but almost from the opposite. Uh, where I feel like by the time I was 18. I'd kind of watched her try to be what she was supposed to be and watched her try to be a regular stay at home mom, try to be someone at a regular job and just act like everybody else. And it just, oh, it was just like this internal thing that festered until there was this huge blow up and she would leave another family and go with all this struggle. And by the time I was 18, I was just watching her do this and I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I've got to do it my way. I've got to be me. I've got to lean into that. And it sounds like your mom taught you the same thing, but kind of in the opposite way.
1: Yeah, definitely. She's a huge role model for me. I mean, the role model, right? Yeah. Um, But uh, definitely completely different. You know, the other thing that's great about it, she's in a completely different field than I was interested in at all. Yeah. Um, And yet so creative. The other thing she did too, was she uh, um, convinced her law firm to um, display local, successful San Diego artists oh wow uh, around their firm she was like so pre UTA and all the agencies that do that now yeah <laughs> um, but uh, again she always brought creativity to her workplace too, her process yeah um, and inspired others to do so but yes as a mom and a role model and a working woman a huge influence in my life and probably why I am able to and have been able to walk, you know, I've watched the the industry evolve um, with the male-female ratio mm-hmm. uh, on on an actual crew and set, but truly I think my mom is one of the reasons why I could just walk onto that set from day one very confidently yeah. and have no problems expressing my opinion, doing it in a, you know, in a loving way, but also in a firm way, and I definitely, I definitely got that confidence from her.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I, the other reason it just really inspires me is you and I have talked a lot about, neurodiversity. And I I am really passionate about that because of being in person with ADHD and, and family members that are on the spectrum and friends and um, all of that. But I've drilled down deeper into why it really matters to me. And I think it's this idea of leaning into what makes you different instead of trying to maximize how you're the same as everybody else. And I think our school system is set up from the industrial revolution to kind of make interchangeable humans like cogs and so I think there's all this pressure to be like other people not lean into how you're different and I feel like with the way that everything's being automated and all that stuff I feel like there's this giant push where there's just a real necessity to lean into being yourself and so that was just uh really inspiring to me
1: oh thanks I mean I I was just thinking when you were talking it was you know I'm sure you felt this way and and I didn't and people are listening now. Uh, you know that that um, uniqueness that was in us, our—I like to call it our inner genius. Yeah. Um. Uh. It, it it could be a struggle. You know, it could be a struggle. And, and you and I have a real rebellious spirit. Spirit. Right. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're like, I'll show you all who I am. Yeah. You know, whereas yes. some people don't have that, and yet they still, um, you know, walk in their own path and 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 are, and are different. And it can be a real challenge to stay true to that, you know? So maybe that's yeah. what happened to your mom. Like it, 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 if you don't have that fighting spirit and who knows how we got it. Um, Do we get it from our parents? Do we get it from environment? Uh, something that inspired us really young, who knows? But yeah. um, if you don't have that, you know, I feel like it's our responsibility as artists to inspire that yeah. in, in others. Even today I had a conversation with my youngest who's eight. I have an eight-year-old and I have a 21-year-old. Mm. I have a lot of conversations with both of them about creativity. But today he said to me, you know, they have a, one of those shares in class, like share, you know, share something that's special to you that, that tells everybody about you. Mm. And he said to me, Mom, I'm so worried because I put a piece of obsidian in my bag and I want to share it. But I want to share it because I want to tell everybody how much I love Minecraft yeah. and how I love you know, my obsidian armor. But I don't know if I should share this because maybe everybody will laugh at me and think that's mm. weird and and of course I said, well, what's the worst that can happen? And he said, they laugh at me, and I stopped talking to them forever. I was like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and I said, well, just be true to who you are. Coming from mom, you know, I'm talking about my mom Inspire me. I'm not yeah. sure how much of an impact I had on him, but hey, this is a kid that's being encouraged by a parent to be true to yourself and original, and yet he still feels that way. I think we all feel that way um, all the time about, when we have very unique interest or the way we think or the way we play, maybe we know we're a little bit more immature. I was definitely much more immature growing up mm. and we recognize that we're not cookie cutter. We're not like who we consider to be the successful yeah. um, peers uh, yes. uh, at, at every stage of our lives. Um, maybe you're 30 years old and you haven't reached that place that you think you should have reached in your creative career, but you're doing something else and, Am I not as good as those people that are doing that? You're just constantly comparing yourself. So, how do we get everybody back to just being like, "I'm wearing silver leather pants." Yes,
0: and okay. I, <laughs> and actually, that's one of been, that's been one of my tricks because I am. I get. I feel like I'm one of these people who slowly lets out my weird in relationships. Like it takes a long. Like I'd when I'd move to a new school, and it would take me like three years to be, to be oh. my true self. And so I've learned one trick that I do is I try to just wear things not silver leather pants, but sim- similar things like weird glasses, dye my hair, weird shirts, whatever, so that I don't have any ability to hide. So that like, I just feel like, okay, I, I get out there and they already know. So don't even try to hide because they already see your weird glasses or whatever it is. So I feel like there's a I trick from great. your mom there.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love dressing up for the part. You know, it's that alter ego that yes. you and I talk about where you, you know, you sort of, you you become the artist you want to be, the the person you want to be, you, you're signaling like yeah. a peacock signaling yeah, <laughs> a really magnificent tail, um, to others, what you're all about. I think that's really important and it could be anything, you know, too. It can be something little. Yes. I always dress up. I don't know if I tell you this. I always dress up for every pitch mm. that I go to. No, you didn't so, tell me that. Yeah, I do. It's true. So, uh, one of, you know, so I'll give you a couple, I'll give you a couple of uh, uh, costume examples. Right. Um, <laughs> when I just did the dark crystal, um, uh, premiere in London, mm. For the British Film Institute, there was a panel, and I was like, I'm going to go Gelfling. Really? And so I, I worked with this <laughs> amazing, amazing woman, Alexa. Her handle is Gandalf Sandwich. She's amazing. She does <laughs> such gorgeous <laughs> fantasy makeup. Yeah. I'm not a makeup wearer. Really? But I asked her, I said, would you design me Gelfling eyeshadow and makeup? And she did, and I wore it. And I was like, I am Gelfling glamored. It was so that much, and amazing. I felt really like, made me feel more secure in the event. But it also signaled to everybody, like I'm so 100% in and excited about this project. Yeah. And um, my my true fashion moment was when uh, Natalie Emmanuel, who who plays Deet in Dark Crystal, was like, oh, "Your makeup, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I was Like a oh, movie star likes my makeup." Um, but that also, I think, was her responding to your enthusiasm is so amazing. You yeah. know, like you're 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 um, definitely excited about what we're doing here. So that's I did incredible. that. But another time I tried to sell the show called Dot. Yes. And all I worked, every pitch was polka dots. That's it. That's,
2: That's all I did.
1: Crazy.
2: <laughs> um, my, my
0: oldest it's sort of is... A
1: celebration, uh... but it's also signaling to everybody, right? I'm creative. Yeah. Uh, I'm passionate. And this is who I am.
0: And you kind of have to show up into that part. That's, I think, part of it for me. Uh, and my oldest, by the way, is named Dot. So I, we, we love the celebration of this uh, kid's name around my household. Um, Yay! Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... so I'm going to get to Dark Crystal in a second. I want to just kind of camp out a little bit more with uh, your story. And I know you and I are both really big into knowing your heroes, leaning into that, knowing who you share sensibilities with and and owning that. And you named Jim Henson, George Lucas, and Steven Spielberg as heroes. But in that same path of, you know, leaning into how you're different – Uh, I'm sure you have all these sensibilities that are similar to these people and all these things about you that are similar, that mean you have the similar taste. Do you have a sense of what is different about what you bring to the table uh, creatively to your than your heroes?
1: Yes, there's a couple of things that um, popped in my head when you said that. The first being um, and then I'll jump into the other ones. The sure. first being just as a uh, producer, I really lean into other people's dreams as well and help them manifest them. Mm. So those heroes that I named Jim Henson and George Lucas and his team Spielberg have their own stories, which I have my, mine as well, but they have their own stories and that is where they're leaning in all their energy and efforts. Right. Yeah. And they of course are incredibly nurturing of all their teams, but it's, it's about their vision. And I think one of the things that excites me as a creative producer is actually helping manifest other people's dreams. So that's something that's right. very different, yeah. and I I love it, and I get very excited. I loved helping Craig Bartlett uh, bring Dinosaur Train to life. Um, it was a, a dream project of his. Or John Tartaglia, Splash and Bubbles. Uh, my dream was Sid the Science Kid. You know, so that was that was something that was mine. Yeah. But. I think that's one thing that um, uh, sort of is different than, than my, any of my heroes, actually. Yes. I'm now discovering this with you right now, Andy. <laughs> um,
0: that's hey. amazing. That's and incredible. Then,
1: so that's one thing, and um, it brings me a lot of joy. And in fact, if you're somebody that is more in that vein of I'm just going to pursue my stories only and put my energy into it, I would encourage people to every now and then actually help somebody else. Uh, I think it really, um, deepens your own storytelling and producing in a different way because you're, you're seeing somebody's, um, style and point of view. It's very different from your own and it's, it's very satisfying. It's very giving. Um, so there's that. Yeah. The other thing that I think is very different is I have a lot of feminist stories to tell. Yeah. I definitely see things through a, um, uh, um, a very feminine lens uh, versus my heroes who actually saw them, see them through very, they're very masculine lenses. Not that they don't have wonderful female heroes in their stories. And certainly Jim Henson, I think out of the three of them um, is the one that actually really did with uh, with Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, these strong female leads. But yeah, um, I think that for me, I much more gravitate in my um, storytelling, my personal storytelling to wanting to tell stories. Um, And when I say feminine, it's not just only in, in the, the, the the lead characters and making sure that there's, you know, a really strong sense of diversity inclusion, but just sort of the kinds of stories that we're telling. Like I am very interested in telling stories about hope and healing and nurturing and, um, sort of, uh, kind of the, the, the harder stories, you know, that, um, that women take on in their lives. I'm really much more interested in, in those types of messaging uh, in my stories than. And I love adventure, and I love fantasy, and I love it all through that same um, storytelling um, that that my heroes do. But I think that the type of messaging that I'm more interested in is very different from what they what they're all trying to tell. Yeah. Although although all of them are trying to tell the story of. Um, you know, the little guy can always make a difference. Little yeah. green frog, you know, a couple lone rebels, right? A kid with an alien. Um, yeah. <laughs> these are all sort of smaller heroes that make a big difference. I do believe in that.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I think it, uh, it definitely shows that you have a very clear sense of your niche within that, you know, market of work that you have wanted to play in. And I think, uh, you see that even, I thought it was interesting, uh, in Dark Crystal that there's a very clear matriarch system a matriarchy in the new Dark Crystal series.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, that was very deliberate and definitely driven by myself and Lisa Henson. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, we, uh, were inspired long time ago by a lot of the work coming out of the Gina Davis Institute Um, about how, you know, underrepresented females on screen and it made us pause and take a look at the characters very early on in the process. This is way pre Netflix. Mm. And so we were, you know, I said to Lisa, we, we've got to have some of our skexies, um, actually be, be feminine and have a female voice and same with our mystics. And before we even got to the conversation of the Gelfling, and I got to say, one of the things I'm most proud of is Aquafina voicing our uh, collector. I'm just like, it works. Perfect. Yeah. It's exactly what we were hoping for. She's just as spooky and scary. We honor the original character, but we've now brought a really cool, different dimension to, um, to the world. But yes, the matriarchy um, actually felt very natural because it was inspired by um, the Wall of Destiny. Have I told you this? In the Wall right. of Destiny, there is a, you can see, um, carved into it this um, sort of female priestess yeah. And so when we were building the world, um, we noticed that image. It was like a little archaeological digging. Mm. And we were like, oh, my gosh, that, that's a leader. That's a leader of the world. Wouldn't it be amazing if this was a matriarchy? And yeah. from that conversation, then we started to build out the madras and the al-madra and how it became a matriarchal society. And it, it, it just fit. It made sense. And Brian Froud, of course, was, like, thrilled Um, with that that take uh, that we developed so then um, everybody just dug in deep and uh, I was just watching it again uh, last night the one scene where all the madras come together yeah and with my son and it was just really fun to see like all these different types of women from different cultures introverts extroverts um, uh, you know from a kind of lower class higher class and very proud of that moment. It's like the full spectrum of matriarchy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's very, uh, moving. And it's also incredible, uh, that it's the executive producers on the series are both women and it's just a very, uh, it's just really incredible. So I, I have other questions that I want to ask you about your, uh mantra about creative business and your practices you have so much you know in my diving deep into uh your story i've found so many threads to pull however because we're limited on time i need to i need to uh, <laughs> fast forward ahead and tell you something um tell me. okay uh, so when i first met you um everybody told me don't fanboy out about Henson and Fraggles. And the first thing I did was just spill my guts about how how inspired I am by Henson. And I couldn't help it. And you told me like, please don't ever hold back. So in the spirit of that advice that you gave me, um, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I yep. watched the uh, series and I don't know if it was directly after is when I started watching the making of on Netflix I just started uh, bawling, (laughs) and I'll I'll explain why. Um, I've been reading uh, Jim's biography, and uh, and I know how hard it was. I I I really relate to his sense of um, passion and urgency about the creative work that he's doing, and like following his curiosity. And I know how hard it was for him to make Dark Crystal. And I just had this sense as I was watching the making of, and I think I actually started feeling this around episode seven, of how he would have felt seeing this series because it's so vast and it's so, and he was so ahead of his time. And this time uh, making this in this time makes so much sense. And it was so, it, it seemed like the fruition of so much of his art, artistic visions. Um, and I just wondered if you have thought about that or did you feel that? But for, but first I just wanted to say uh, just thank you so much for making this incredible thing and doing his legacy justice as a super fan. Uh, I was just so moved by uh this piece of work and um yeah so thank you and had you thought about it through that lens
1: oh yeah i mean we've just talked about how he was my hero yes he and dark crystal was such an important um story in my childhood and my life it it taught me that you could heal from darkness and you know Mm -hmm. these two gelfling you know that that were motherless and fatherless Um, although i had a great mom but i didn't have my dad uh, could, could find meaning in this big, scary world. It was a very powerful story for me. So the fact that I actually, I mean, just for me as an Uber fan who loves to geek out on, uh, you know, on the things that I'm actually working on as well. Yeah. Um, you know, one that it started with an idea of mine, which was, can we go back to Thra and tell a prequel story? Mm. And then to sit with my son last night and watch the series. I can't even believe it. I mean, I can't believe it. It's cosmic and it's incredible. And, I think a lot of the will of trying to make it happen and manifest in all the people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that put their passion and brought their A-game to this series, I think we were all moved by our love of Jim Henson. Yeah. Uh, and the Dark Crystal, of course. I mean, that—that that is why we wanted to go back to Thra, But also, we were moved by this amazing creative spirit. So I tell people I feel like On this particular project, we all dream fasted with Jim for time and space. Yes. And, and, you know, nobody, everybody keeps asking me, did you feel pressure like doing the next Dark crystal? Like, did you feel that intense pressure? And it's funny, I didn't, I just felt passion Mm -hmm. and I feel like everybody else did too, um, we, and we didn't, we also didn't walk around with bracelets that said, what would Jim do? Sure. You know, that, that also wasn't the intent. It was like yeah. he had built this incredible world that we loved and we honored it and we were passionate about it and we built on it carefully. And also you had kind of the, the lore keepers and, and Lisa Henson and in Brian Froud, but, um, we, we just, we just built on it and, 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 and wove more tales into it. I think Jim would have been thrilled to see that inspired all of this um, new vision, especially with his daughter at the helm. I mean, come on. Yeah. So I, when you just said, I, you know, how would he have felt watching? It? I think he would have been so proud, so thrilled. Um, I didn't know him personally, but again, I've dreamed faster with him through sure. time and space. Yes. And um, I love that. Brian Froud and Wendy Froud and Toby Froud, I became very close with on the production. Yeah. And Brian has often said how thrilled he believes Jim would have been. Yeah. To have seen this. And Jim was so far ahead in his thinking. He took major bold risks, and we did as well. Yeah. Even remaking this.
2: Sure.
1: And um, and yet sometimes, yes, the technology wasn't quite there yet. So I think we were so lucky to have worked with double negative and visual effects and to have had, like, this 30-plus years of learning uh, with our creature shop. Yeah. So this isn't technology we used 30 years ago like we did for the Skeks. Right? You yes. This is this is modern technology. This is all the the, the learning in between. So um, uh, I definitely think that we were if he was alive now and had all these tools, I can't even imagine what he would have done. No. Um, but again, the people that worked on it were so inspired by him, by the movie. Our production designer, you know, Gavin Bouquet, like so amazingly um, influenced by Jim Henson that he didn't blink twice to say yes to this production. You know, big big feature film production designer, but came on board Dark Crystal because it influenced his entire career. So, again, um, I think it that Jim sort of did make all of this happen. If that makes any sense.
2: Sure. (laughs) Not
1: just with Dark Crystal, but by Total Inspiration. Then I have to tell a little a little secret. So my little secret is now it's all out in the open on a podcast. Um, that when I went to uh, the premiere, the London premiere,
2: yeah.
1: uh, Lisa Henson invited me to stay in her home, uh, for a couple of evenings and that was her father's home. And that is the, that is the home he lived in when he made the dark crystal yeah. and his office in, is, um, still intact. Uh, it, it, nothing has been touched since the day he passed. Wow. Um, I mean, I'm sure they've moved around some post-its sure. and stuff, but, <laughs> sure,
2: right. but
1: it's, still, it's still his office and I sat in there quietly and I just... Gave him a little thank you, he did a little prayer, and just I just felt like I communed with him, and just said, I mean, he didn't talk back, but right. I did feel like I needed to say thank you for everything, and thank you for me being able to be here, and 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 this wonderful project happening. So I felt I felt pretty lucky that I got to do that too. That's my little secret that I snuck in there.
0: Thank you, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. That is absolutely lovely. I think you know, with fantasy kind of hitting the mainstream in a, in a major, major way. I know when they were making this, it it was a pretty big risk to do this big of a budget fantasy film, and, you know, that's changed. And also, I think the level of world-building, trying to cram all of that in and a narrative into a film versus how this episodic TV has become so cinematic, there's just so many... And then also... You know, reading his biography, I feel like I think everybody thinks that he was bonkers for puppets when he was almost seems like more bonkers for technology. And I think he was he would have been all about this marriage of, uh, you know, puppetry with fine tuning things, CGI. And I was thinking that before even the series came out. And when it came out, watching that uh, just seems like the start of a whole new direction in entertainment. I think we, we went bonkers for CGI for a little while, but I think this is really, um, I don't know, brought, brought us into something new. So, I, yeah.
1: And I think it's reminded everybody that practical, um, puppetry or effects, uh, uh, practical sets, um, uh, is tactile and it, it's something that you can have an emotional relationship yes. with. And, and so that's, that's the beauty of it. There is definitely a time and place for um, amazing CG characters. I will never forget sitting in the movie theater and seeing Jurassic Park. My mm. mind was blown. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm seeing dinosaurs. Yes. Like, I, I I couldn't even believe it at the time. So it can sort of open up our world sure. and the scope of our world and 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 in, in a way in storytelling that we never had. But I do think that what hopefully the new Star Wars series have done and um, – and what we've done with The Dark Crystal reminds people that actually practical is very, um, it's like I said, it's, it's very emotional, it's very spiritual. It feels truer. Yes. And you, that's what you're trying to achieve in storytelling is, is a trueness. And in fantasy, sometimes fantasy is truer than reality.
0: 100%. Um,
1: you know, uh, I, I love this quote that I read somewhere where a unicorn, children know that unicorns aren't real, but they're very real to them. Yes. like it doesn't make them less true. I mean, look at like I, there's so many like so much unicorn paraphernalia everywhere. You can't tell me that unicorns aren't true. Um, so, I think there's something about getting back to practical that feels right, and that we um, we're laughing so hard at Luke with Yoda, right? In In Empire, it's the yes. greatest.
0: 100%. And
1: and so that that relationship that they were able to have that relationship existed because of it being a puppet. There's yes. no question. And I know, I know that George Lucas would even say that.
0: So I think um, that,
1: he that he has said that to me.
0: Really? So, uh, <laughs> so you do know it. Yes, you you definitely you know it as well as anybody. No, I know
1: it to be true, like fantasy.
0: I think I unicorn. love that uh, quote uh, about fantasy. It reminds me of something that Joseph Campbell has said about, yeah, myths are real, but they're truer than reality. And I think that right. is the same for good fantasy and good story.
1: So anyway, we were so lucky with Dark Crystal to be able to play in that space. And, um, you know, we had so we had like, I think it was something like 79 sets.
2: Yeah. And
1: 150 puppets. That's a lot of practical. And um, when you would walk on the set, I I felt like a little gelfling. It was like a massive set. It was real. You were in the world. So again, that gets the best performance out of your puppeteers and the characters uh, on top of... um, it feeling uh, very special and artistic. I like felt like it looked like a fairy tale come to life.
0: I uh, want to go to kind of the, the navigation of with business and art. I know your, your mantra is that you make and sell TV. And I've heard you, <laughs> which I I find that so fascinating. It's very uh, in line with this podcast because we always we're all about how do you walk that tightrope of art and business and see them as uh, you know symbiotic and and uh, and uh, can have a very great relationship. And I wonder. Um, this is kind of in that vein of vision versus feedback, how, how you know when to quit? How do you know when to take mm. feedback in all that? And I'm, and I've never heard you, give
1: up, right. Never
0: give up, <laughs> but how never do you know, how do you, how did you know for you pushed, uh, you, you worked for dark crystal to happen for 14 years, I think. How did you, what on a personal level was driving you through all of that, uh, time How'd you know not to give in, give in? Cause I, I, this is a huge thing of for, uh, for creative people knowing, okay, I got the right feedback and I need to kind of let that down or I need to move on or I need to change or I need to shift, whatever. Um, and some things you do have to let go of and, and whatever, but how did you stay? What was lighting that fire, uh, to keep you pushing this for that long?
1: There's a couple of things. There's a couple of answers to that. But the, the main answer is passion for the project. Mm. It, you know, every project, and I just had this conversation, every project that, um, you know, I've learned this over time, though. So this is something that's been learned, right? Right. That now on my slate, everybody has a slate. If you're an artist, if you're a designer, if you're, so when I say slate, it means your slate of projects, Right. Right. Um, I have now learned over time that your slate should only consist of dream projects because those are the ones, and you could have many, but those are the ones that you will know and believe in despite everybody telling you not to believe in them. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of haters out there. Yeah. And um, I think that you just have to, you know, one, just have great passion for that project. It seems like such an obvious answer, but it's hard to sustain. Yes. Um, I can't so, imagine
0: 14 years of, of, of this. Direction.
1: Yeah. But I also had to respond, like you said, you had to be, you had to respond to, um, to the marketplace and what was happening at the time. So in the marketplace, uh, when we began, uh, there was no game of Thrones. Mm. Uh, God bless game of Thrones. Yes.
0: <laughs> game, <laughs> yes. Of Thrones,
1: game changer for all fantasy and television.
0: I know. Absolutely. Um, I mean,
1: there's fantasy and sci-fi in the movies. Um, a lot of it. Um, P.S. I have to take a little pause to tell you. I remember when I, before Harry Potter existed, I went mm. out and tried to pitch this show. Yeah. It was fantasy for kids, and a network executive said this to me. You know what? Kids don't like just fantasy. You got to wrap it up with like fantasy with comedy or <laughs> fantasy with dog.
0: <laughs> I was like, who are you? What? <laughs> anyway. So that guy happened. ended up being wrong.
1: <laughs> he was so wrong that Harry Potter <laughs> came along. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure that same executive was like, "We're looking for fantasy, like Harry Potter. Kids love fantasy." Yeah. Um, but uh, but see, but I knew, like, I even though that project I was doing didn't happen, I believed in, I believed in the in the project. I knew that kids loved fantasy, and I, I knew that you know the marketplace wasn't ready to hear that particular pitch at the time,
2: right? Yeah.
1: But you got to keep trying. I'm sure Jim Henson. Uh, uh, you know, we all know the story. He went around trying to pitch the Muppet Show. Everybody passed. Yeah. Uh, ended up setting it up in you know the UK, thank goodness, and then brought it back into the US. So you just have to find that one champion. So I suppose the other thing that you can hold on to if you have a project that's taking a long time to set up is you can tell yourself, I just haven't found my champion yet. Yes. Just haven't found them yet. And sometimes you have to switch up the gatekeepers. That's something I've done where I think, are we going to the right gatekeepers? Is there some other way that we can go through a different gate to get in there. Um, that happened on another project I had, Word Party, where I suddenly realized, like, do we need to make a pilot ourselves? Do we just not? Should we just not wait for somebody to say yes? And we did. And then with that pilot, we were able to open up the gates in a different way. But I think it's like, you know, one, how do I get into the gatekeepers? And two, I got to keep looking for the right champion. Because if you believe in your project, and yes, you should get feedback, and yes, you should be open to the possibility of of change within the project. We did with Dark Crystal. It started as an animated series. Right. Ended up being the best possible version it could be. Yeah. uh, Which was this 10-parter, you know, one-hour, you know, puppet extravaganza. But I think um, Champion and also um, sometimes you got to wait. Just got to wait. And then just sort of pivot to the next project until the time is right for the other one. That is still, you know, part of your dream slate. Yeah. Um, and always, you and I talk about this. You always have to look. At what are the needs of your audience? What do they need to hear right now? Mm. Um, they always need to be entertained. I mean, that—that's why they're turning on television, or that's why they're picking up a book. We're—we're we're looking to be entertained, and but also we have to—we have to also think about. How do they want to be inspired right now? What's going on with them? So I think sometimes your project might not be aligned with what your your dream project might have. Um, I don't want to say outgrown, but maybe kind of missed the times a little bit. And so you might take a look at your project and say, do we need to shift this with what people need right now? Or should we just wait until they need it again? The mm. um, Dark Crystal cosmically came out at a time where it was so needed.
0: Yeah, it feels freakish cuz you know this thing took so much time so it can't possibly possibly been made exactly, you know, on purpose for this moment, but then watching it is bone-chilling in a way considering the times.
1: The, the secret is I I actually had a vision with a sanctuary tree. It it, it told me it <laughs> told me uh, have it
0: come out now? No. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Um, I wish, right? No, yes. actually, I don't. I don't want a sanctuary tree to tell me what's happening in the future.
0: Right. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, so it, it sounds like you're saying uh, there's something about an emotional core or a, a why at the bottom of all this, and the, uh-huh. you know the the veneer and the auxiliary things around that you can be open to feedback about, um, but that central passion, that seems like that's been true for you since the beginning of that project. Um, yeah, and it it's has, you and through. I think
1: that that's what keep, will keep you going and keep you um, energized and continuing to try to make that project happen. Um, that, you know, that is, that is my strong belief.
0: Yeah. I, uh, so I want to get to just one question that I heard you mention this on a different podcast, but I don't think that you elaborated on. I don't think you uh, got the option to get into charrettes. Is that what you call it? Oh yeah, brain. Yeah. Like how, how does that work? This it is, is a something that
1: I. Um, some people, you know, we'll call it a brainstorming session. Yeah. we've all had those where we sit around with a group of uh, peers and we, we kick around ideas and, and talk about them and, you know, Oh, we could do this, we could do that. So, I mean, at the basis, at the core of it, that's what a charrette is, but they're also designed in a way. And I designed them in a way that, um, definitely are in different stages, but, um, it, this was a Jim Henson tradition.
2: Mm. So
1: I actually was taught this tradition, um, from, um, from my, you know the people I started working for when I started at the Jim Henson Company from Brian Henson and Alex Rockwell. And this was something they did. So um, it is a Jim tradition. There's a, a very famous uh, story about it. he had a charrette where he really felt a responsibility after The Muppet Show became this big global hit. Like, I have all, I have the world's attention. What should I do with that? Mm. You know, I, I, I need to create the next puppet series and so he went into the charrette, and the big question was, uh, "How can we bring about world peace?" Yes. And out of that came Fraggle Rock.
0: Yeah. So everybody knows how happy that makes me. Uh, yeah, I knew I had heard so, that. I didn't know it was from a charrette, but I knew that that was yeah. his answer for world peace.
1: World peace. So with a charrette, um, usually we have them once. Um, We've locked in on a, uh, you know, on a series. Um, no, that's not true. There's two times. There's two different ways that we've we've run charrettes. I've run charrettes. Mm. One is when we have a series that's been greenlit. Um, we've already created it. We've sold it. So a perfect example would be something like Dinosaur Train. Uh, we we sit down and we have a larger charrette, and within that charrette, what we're going to figure out for season one is um, what are the types of stories we want to tell. Uh, how is the curriculum, the educational approach being integrated from the beginning? Um, uh, how are we going to break out the stories? And then we allow space for all kinds of different um, extensions of the company to talk about their hopes and dreams. So within a dinosaur train charrette, uh, licensing could come forward and they could say, hey, you know, what's really important to us. Could you think about having four different kinds of trains? Now at first you think, oh, that's so toy centric. Ew. Actually, (laughs) it was amazing. It gave us so many ideas for stories. Mm. So we're like, yes, we could have this one kind of train that like, like that is like, you know, a a you know, that goes into the snow and then we can meet dinosaurs in the snow and we can we could go up north and we could do these things. So it's suddenly everything's about inspiring more story and getting sort of honing the essence of the of the property itself. We'll also bring into those charrettes um, people who speak from the audience's perspective. So uh, many times we may bring in Uber fans. We brought in a big Uber fan uh, group to the Dark Crystal in the beginning to just say all the things they loved, all of the things that they were hoping for. Um, and so then we integrate that into the show, wow. make sure that we're servicing that. Um, or I've, I've invited um, preschool directors to charrettes, and they talk a lot about the you know the needs of children. And what they, you know, what they're, what, what, what he or she thinks that they may love in this project or what we could push further. So constantly in a charrette you're inspiring one another to sort of just continue to build out the franchise and to build out the why, you know, like with Jim Henson, let's create a, you know, Fraggle Rock, let's create world peace. How? Well, we're going to create three sets of, uh, you know uh creatures and how do they get along and what's the ecosystem yeah and what's the secret sauce you're also kind of getting down to the secret sauce together too mm. um so uh they're built out in different steps throughout uh you could one hour be talking about the educational approach the next uh hour you could be talking about um the kid point of view into the show we could spend a whole hour just reading research and uh presenting uh presenting ideas yeah. we just did that recently I'm trying to figure out a, uh, a Latinx show. And so we sat down and we just really um, brought in an incredible group of women and moms, uh, Latinx moms, to just just really just kind of talk and have a charette about what would be our dream ideas for our kids to learn about. And then we could take that learning and then bring it to the next charrette. Yeah. Um, and then by that point, maybe we'd have three different ideas and we could take those three ideas and pitch them out to writers and see what they come back with. So that's a different approach to a charette. But I have to tell you something else I learned in a charrette that yeah. uh, I don't think anybody had ever done. I'm an introvert.
0: Yeah, me too, actually. So, nobody believes me, yeah, but I mean, it's true.
1: Nobody believes me either. Nobody <laughs> believes me. Yeah. Nobody believes us, Wendy. I know. Um, we have to start a club.
2: Yes.
1: And, uh, and so I'm very mindful of the people who don't speak in meetings because I think something's holding them back. Um, uh, not necessarily fear, maybe being polite. Maybe not sure when to step in. Maybe they have ideas later. Yeah. But then the the, the topics moved on um, from where they're at. So when we had our big dark crystal, we called it the Great Conjunction, Creative Conjunction. Yeah. Uh, and this was before the the show was even um, created with Netflix. Uh, I created these little paddle boards and. Uh, on one side was skexies and on the other was like mystic yeah. and whenever somebody wanted to speak they'd hold up their they'd hold up their their Skeksis or their mystic <laughs> yeah because and it worked suddenly the introverts were, were talking ah oh,
2: that's um, awesome
1: they were holding it up and they they got a they got a form to speak and you would suddenly see how much certain people could dominate the room um, yeah. and take up a lot of the space just because they were comfortable talking yeah whereas um, then suddenly everybody was given a tool to speak. So, you know, always make room for those who uh, aren't speaking because maybe they really do have something to say. They're just not sure how to get in there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, you can ask me more questions about the charrettes. I sort of rambled a bit about it. No, but- I,
0: love, I love it. I, I'm eating it up. I I, I uh, encourage artists all the time to really listen and because i feel there's this kind of toxic creative mythology out there of don't listen to anybody and i think that i heard this very you know kind of controversial comedian's approach to he would go to these college campuses and do stand up and often it was in kind of a religious school or whatever and he would ask them what what are the topics i can't talk about and he would listen to them right and He would use that information and start his set by talking about those topics. And the point of that is, is that listening is super powerful and you get to decide what you do with that. Like just because you have these meetings and these charrettes and you sit and listen to all this stuff, it doesn't mean that you just have to do what all those people tell you to do. It just gives you new information to play with. Is that right? That's right.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. It gives you all the information to play with. And things may surprise you or send you in a different direction that you weren't going in before, but you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, all of those shows I just mentioned had creators at, at the helm. Yeah. So they have to know what rings true with, um, with the series. You, those are the best showrunners, by the way. Mm. I don't believe for a second in the lone showrunner by, by him or herself. I don't believe it. Yes. I mean, of course, the press tells you. Yeah, the press will tell right. you, oh, it's this one person. It's all them. They're such geniuses. And they are. Sure. But also there's so many voices, you know, guiding them and giving them information uh, and tools and visuals and everything that they they have an opportunity to swim in and play with. But then yeah, they ultimately have to to do what's right for the show. And that includes the fans. I have a very good friend who works on now. Now I feel like if I say her, she'll she'll be like, oh no, don't stick my super fans on me. <laughs> <laughs> but she works on a very popular show, and yeah. she gets so disheartened. It's it's a show that's based on a very popular pre-existing um, property yeah, fandom. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and she gets so disheartened when the fans are, you know, go up in arms. They're yes. up in arms against some little decision she's made. And she's like, do they not think that I think it through 100 times? Of course I do. But at the end of the day, I have to tell the best story mm. um, for this particular, you know, this particular episode, and so these choices are deliberate. Um, and yes, I listen to their feedback, but I also have to—I also have to, you know, do my job. This is what I'm hired to do. Yeah. So um, we also have to respect that too, right? Yeah. Um, that at the end of the day, uh, um, a few people are going to have to make
0: those those tough decisions, and they have to lead with their own creative intuition because that's all that they have. Um, so I want to respect your time. I know you got to run. Uh, I just want to end with saying, first of all, uh, Dark Crystal, the series, uh, it is such an achievement. And I just hope that you, I hope you've felt that. I hope you've celebrated it. I'm sure you have. But uh, I, uh, wow, this thing is, this is monumental. Uh, And I'm, sorry. Sorry. What were you
1: saying? No, no, you're, you're making me want to cry. (laughs) I'm so, I'm so happy that, that you loved it. And I'm, I, you know, people that I love and, and admire and, and care about, you know, like it touches me the most when they're the most excited about it. And, and, um, especially when I hear too, from people who are watching it with their kids and they're having this kind of shared experience. That's, that was like my hope and dream. mm. Um, so Uh, It just makes me so happy. And I think it's sinking in now. I do think it's sinking in. You know, when after, like, people say, like, after you have a baby, uh, you know, it takes 100 days to um, kind of come back to yourself. I I don't think I've hit that 100-day mark. I'm still sort of like, I had a baby. (laughs) There's a baby. You were pregnant for
0: 14 years with this baby and (laughs) hundreds of people were involved. This metaphor is getting weird. But... (laughs) <laughs> but it is a monumental achievement it's so clear to me and i'm, I'm so thrilled that it's been so well received it is Yay. what an amazing thing for stories we're
1: celebrating we're definitely that's my big thing is celebrate your successes dress up like a gelfling and yeah and celebrate so we have been so i had my skexy sunday brunch with my
2: oh my, with my friends and
1: my cub scouts and um, and amazing. so, yeah, I'm trying to celebrate, but also like, it gets very overwhelming. So I, I love hearing the feedback. I love hearing what people are thinking. More, yeah. more, more.
0: Awesome. Well, Hallie, uh, thank you for telling stories about hope, healing and nurturing. Everybody that listens to this podcast, the super fans of this podcast know these are my words. This is what I'm all about. That's what this podcast is all about. And so hey. I am just so I'm so grateful that someone in your position is making that their Business. So thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Andy. Boom. My goodness, that... I don't know if you can tell, but that was incredibly special to me. uh, Having Hallie come on the show and talk about Dark Crystal and Henson and and all of these uh, incredible life and creative lessons that she knows. I hope she gets to come back on the show sometime in the not-too-far future... Hey, thank you for showing up every week, doing your thing, listening to the show, making tons of great work. We love you. We had a freaking blast last week at the Creative Pep Rally in Columbus, Ohio. It was beyond special. I can't even articulate how, how much of a glorious occasion it was, and I can't wait to unravel a few more tour stops we've got in the works. So stay tuned for that. Thank you to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for audio assistance. And uh, you can check out, if you're in the audio world, go check out his podcast, uh, The Six Figure Home Studio. If you're in the recording, audio, mastering, production space, and you're trying to build a thriving career, that's the show for you. Thanks to all of you for listening. And until we speak again... Stay pepped up.